Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. I just want to reiterate my apologies to Dwayne Bowe, Ryan Hartline, and Mike Pettin. You'll see why <laughs> I'm apologizing to them when you listen to our Clee Talk bonus podcast and get to the Browns segment. I still... I'm kind of mad at myself for for we'll do well. You'll see what I did in the if you listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. If you're interested in, in what we have to say with our hometown Cleveland sports, uh, certainly listen to the Clee Talk that uh, should be posted right around the time this goes up as well. So check that out if you're interested. But if you're not interested, stick with us. We are talking about a couple of different topics today. We're going to start off with uh, the United States men's soccer team. In the Gold Cup tournament, uh, they lost the semifinal round to Jamaica 2-1. to one. This was an incredible... I don't know if it's incredible. This was a big disappointment for the Americans, I think. Uh, they were certainly expected to at least get to the final. Everyone was expecting them to play against Mexico. The Americans have gotten to a, a number of Gold Cup finals in a row. And it, it was a pretty big disappointment for, for them... Chris, was this the most disappointing loss for uh, the United States men's team? Probably not, because ultimately the Gold Cup is an exhibition. And so I don't think you can really say it's the number one worst loss of all time. However, not to just dismiss the Gold Cup, there are very few opportunities to watch international soccer on a high-profile competitive stage. I mean, the friendlies are nice, but to watch World Cup qualifying, because the men don't play in the Olympics. It's a U23 tournament, and that's not to say that it's not worth watching to see the future stars, but it's not the same as women's soccer, where you actually see the same teams competing for the World Cup, competing for the Olympic gold. So in men's soccer, there is not a lot of opportunity to see your team play in a high-level tournament. There's World Cup, World Cup qualifying, Gold Cup, and the Confederations Cup, and that's really about it. I mean, the Gold Cup, obviously every region has their version of the Gold Cup. So you don't get a lot of chances. And what's especially disappointing is that the women just kind of put America on a soccer high with the the World Cup win. I mean... Dude. Everyone in the nation was really feeling soccer. And I thought that was great for the men because the women do that huge accomplishment, winning the, the biggest prize in soccer. And then like three days later, the Gold Cup started. And I, for one, <laughs> wanted to get more U.S. soccer. And I think a lot of people in the nation probably yeah. flocked to this tournament wanting more because of what the women did so they had a golden not to use a pun opportunity to capitalize off that momentum and if they could have won this tournament it would have been a nice hey the women got the world cup and then the men won the gold cup and i think that would have been good for american soccer as a whole so i think that adds a little extra edge to this loss certainly and I mean, I was so excited to start the Gold Cup because, you know, I, I followed the Women's World Cup. We did a couple episodes on the podcast. And let me tell you how sad it was to watch the men play their first game. Just how how good those women were, the women's team was. And then to watch the men's team play, and they certainly are talented, but, man, they just aren't as good as the American women. And it was like watching 
on Sunday at one o'clock, you watch the Patriots play the Broncos. And then at four o'clock, we have to watch the Browns play. And it's just like that <laughs> level of disappointment. I mean, they just weren't, they, the passing isn't as crisp. The plays aren't as good. The, the shots aren't as deadly. They just, they aren't that, they aren't as good. And it was, I was just sad watching that game. I mean, I got into it. I got myself back into it, watching it once I got used to it. But man, that was a big letdown for me. <laughs> just, just the transition from best in the world to American men Man. playing in Concacaf, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, I think that I agree with you. I noticed the letdown too. It was against Honduras, and I'm like, man, if this were the women, they'd be up like six nothing by now. I kind of missed that already, but. Yeah, no. I, I believe I, I forget which women's player tweeted it out or Instagrammed it, but she said after today they should call it soccer and men's soccer, and I thought that was a really good jab at the men's team. Yeah, and it's kind of true because the U.S. women are so much better than the men. I mean, it's not even funny. They are so good and so fun to watch and awesome. I mean, it feels like you're watching one of those men's European teams like Germany or Spain or Brazil, some of the superpowers in men's soccer that certainly the U.S. has a ways to go before they're on that level on the men's side. But to go from, you're right, like the best in the world to U.S. men kind of struggling to in a group play Gold Cup match, it, it's kind of a reality check. But to focus back on Jamaica and the knockout round, it is disappointing because even though it is an exhibition tournament, it is a high-profile tournament, and it is a meaningful tournament. A lot of people watch this. Whenever you have a lot of eyes on your product, you want to deliver, and the U.S. had a golden opportunity to seize the momentum the women had started and ride it through to a Gold Cup championship and thus not have to play a playoff game in October against the winner of Jamaica and Mexico for the Confederations Cup because that is a very important exhibition tournament at the site of the World Cup. And so you get a taste of the World Cup country against seven other teams who are probably seven other World Cup teams because they're all winning the regional championships. Yeah. So certainly in a golden opportunity for whoever comes out of this playoff game to get some much-needed experience. And the U.S. needs all the experience they can because they're trying to develop a program for the long term here. Well, Bob, you watched the Jamaica match. I did not. I was unable to. What did you see? Like, what, what was, I guess, wrong with the United States against Jamaica? Well, they lost 2-1 to one on, and two, on, on two set pieces. I mean, a long throw in that was headed in, and then... Uh, Brad Guzan got called for the forward pass outside of the box that turned into a really close free kick and the dude just nailed it. So the free kick, I mean, there's little that you can do other than hope that he, it, it's just guessing against the odds. Cause he's going to go for that right corner if he's going to gun it. And it's really hard for the goalkeeper to, to block that shot if he hits it right. So I can't, you know, Brad Guzan, I think despite the two one score, he, he played a heck of a game, and he played that headed ball perfectly. I, I, I'm sure you saw the highlight of both those goals. The First off, for the long throw to get all the way there to land, on, for him to head the ball, 
that's not Brad Guzan's fault. That's the back line's fault, which is the glaring hole of the American soccer team. They went through so many defensive rotations, starting lineups. There's just there's not a single person that is deserving of a starting role other than, say, Fabian Johnson, who is a right fullback, who is more known for his speed, passing, and attacking than really his defending. So that's not really a good place to start if you're talking about defense. So it's the back line's fault. I'm, I'm sorry. The, head, the headed shot was a ridiculous arc shot to the other post, hit that post, and then curved along the line into the other post to score that goal. That's not the goalkeeper's fault. I, I, I mean, he could have guessed it better, I guess, but he was in good position. It's, it's the back line's fault for letting Jamaica head that ball. Now, I will say that, you know, we are in the expectation now in 2015 with Jurgen Klinsmann as our coach who's going to take us to the promised land. We were supposed to be awful in the group of death in 2014. We got out of the group of death. We played Belgium really hard despite uh, the expectations being low. We are in the expectations of CONCACAF of being one of the top two teams with Mexico. So we are always expected to get to the finals. But Jamaica is a good team. They have Wes... uh, Sorry, I lost his name. They have Wes Morgan, who is the captain of Leicester City in the English Premier League. So they have they have a captain in the Premier League, and they have a number of other players in the Premier League and a number of players in the MLS. Their their talent, starting talent, is probably on par with the Americans. So for Jamaica to beat us 2-1 in the game itself is not that big a surprise. But expectations were we were supposed to win this game, and it has to be a disappointment because we did not approach this tournament as if it was a tune-up, as if we were getting young players any kind of game, time. We approached this tournament as in, we want to win this so we don't have to play that playoff match. And we we failed. Yeah, and to be fair to CONCACAF, I do think it's getting deeper. Costa Rica had a nice run at the World Cup last year. Honduras qualified for the World Cup and has generally been a solid team. And you see Jamaica kind of, you mentioned, I mean, they are not a bad team. Panama has reached the Gold Cup final. I think they reached the last Gold Cup final. So yeah. the, the, the CONCACAF region is starting to get deeper. Now, obviously, it's not on par with UEFA and some of the other big gun regions but it's getting deeper i think that it's not simply just a u.s mexico region anymore i think that you do see some teams bubbling up that can challenge them a little bit more than maybe they had in the years past obviously traditionally the united states and mexico are the two best teams in this region and certainly the expectations are that they meet in the final every year because that's what they've done for themselves. They've qualified for the World Cup a lot. They have reached knockout stages of the World Cup, multiple knockout stages. So when you get to the level at the World Cup where you're one of the 16 best teams in the world, yes, the expectations fall on your shoulders. But, I mean, Costa Rica had to play Mexico in the quarterfinals of this tournament. If Costa Rica maybe got another team, they could have been a semifinalist or maybe even a finalist. I mean, Costa Rica made the quarterfinals of the World Cup last year. So certainly CONCACAF is starting to improve its depth as a region. You're starting to see some other countries develop stronger soccer programs. And I think that's ultimately good to help 
push the United States and Mexico beyond just the round of 16 or the round of 8. I don't think either have gotten to the semifinals. I'm not sure about Mexico. I know the United States hasn't. So, again, it's not. It's, it's certainly not just a shoe-in tournament for the U.S., but yes, the expectations uh, on the United States in this region are certainly that you win the Gold Cup, you at least get to the finals, and you qualify for the World Cup because this region is not... It's still not one of the tougher regions in the world. No, definitely not. And I think the expectation is a little unfair for the Americans. But that being said, we we are expecting to, to do big things in 2018 in the World Cup. And winning this Gold Cup should have been the first start. I mean, some of the guys that Klinsman was playing, starting with Kyle Beckerman, he's 33. Uh, Dempsey's 32. Graham Zuzzi, you saw a little bit. He's 28. Michael Bradley, 27. Uh, Alejandro Bedoya, 28, Wondolowski, 32, and Demarcus Beasley, for crying out loud, uh, has played in four World Cups, retired from international play. Klinsman convinced him to come out of retirement to play in this Gold Cup because he didn't trust the back line, because he wanted veteran leadership. Uh, you know, we were relying on the vets to, to win us this cup so that we would qualify the Confederations Club, and then we would move forward with the youth movement and get the guys that were actually going to be ready to play and start in that 2018 World Cup. And I think that was a, a relative disappointment. I I think they should have rethought it. I, I guess what I'm getting at is American soccer has never been in a better place than it is right now. It's more popular than it ever has been. You see Fox having lucrative deals with the Bundesliga and the Premier League, uh, pumping in in international play games every week but in terms of the american soccer roster we are probably weaker on the top in terms of talent than we have ever been approaching a world cup and i'm saying that we we have more depth than we've ever had we have a wealth of players to choose from but we don't have out and out stars i'd say our best player right now is michael bradley who's the captain, he's 27, he's a midfielder. His position and his talent is just not game-changing talent. Clint Dempsey is 32. He was one of the best players and was part of the top talent. But come 2018, he's not going to be there. Tim Howard, you could say, but he's a goalkeeper. He'll save you games. He won't win you games. And he's going to be really old come that World Cup. We are missing... We don't. We've never had a star, but we are missing an American star. And that's what we need. The attack. We have five different guys that we can put at striker. None of them stand out to me as the guy, the goal store scorer. That used to be Clint Dempsey. That used to be Landon Donovan. It should be Josie Altidore right now. We know what happened to him. I think Zardes is, is, is the, the best chance, but he, he's relatively young and inexperienced on the international front. So, uh, we need to find and foster top tier talent quickly to get to 2018. And I think that is what reared its head in that Jamaica game. When we were down two zero, there was nobody that could, that could make fantastic plays and put us back into it. It was, you know, the goalkeeper for Jamaica was really bad and let the ball loose. He should have caught most of those balls. He should have caught the ball that uh, Michael Bradley kicked in on a volley uh, that shouldn't have even been a goal, really. So the Americans are just lacking game-changing talent at this point, and that is a is a serious concern heading into 2018. 
No, and that's been a reoccurring concern too. I mean, it's it's certainly not something that's new for the United States. Well, I mean, it we had Landon Donovan, we had Clint Dempsey in their prime, we had Demarcus or not uh, Brian McBride before that. All those guys were good goal scorers who were Landon Donovan wasn't, but Dempsey and McBride were successful in the English Premier League scoring goals. And you could rely on all three of those guys in an international play to step up and to make goals when needed most. I don't see us having that going forward right now. All right, so I want to throw this out there because there's been a lot of corruption in FIFA. So I think it's a fair question to ask. You look at the United States and how they got a little unlucky. You said that there was that close penalty kick in the game. And then you look at Mexico, or free kick, excuse me, uh, free kick. Then you look at Mexico, and you look at how they won their games in the knockout round, all three of their goals coming on penalty kicks. Do you think CONCACAF really wanted a U.S.-Mexico knockout winner-take-all for the uh, Confederations Cup in October? Oh, um... Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, I am always hesitant to to shout out conspiracy theory, to shout out uh, corruption. But with FIFA, man, anything is possible. Anything's on the table. I definitely think that that was discussed. I mean, you're talking about a nationally televised game in October for international soccer. It's just more money. You know, you could you're going to rent out another football stadium in America have a huge game maybe even have it in mexico city they have a huge stadium there uh, it, money man it's all about money so i definitely see it um you know for the american side that call isn't called often for guzan but it was the right call it wasn't like a controversial like what that wasn't it i mean he was past the line it was it was a correct call i don't know how many times it's called versus how many times it's not it's it's one of those rules that's you know usually ignored a little bit, but it was the right call. I'm I could definitely believe conspiracy. I don't have enough evidence to to cry it, but I I definitely see that as a possibility. I'm not going to excuse it as a reason for the Americans losing, but I could see it. Oh, certainly. I mean, with all that's come out about FIFA, it wouldn't surprise me if they you know had some, you know, it, nothing would surprise me with them anymore. I don't know if I want to go that far, the whole match-fixing thing, because that's a really serious charge, even more than just the bribery stuff. Uh, that damages the integrity of the game, and I think the organization would be kind of foolish if they went into that conspiracy theory. But you know what? I mean, when when you see what happened just a few months ago with uh, Sepp Blatter and the FIFA executives and the whole bribery thing, makes you wonder about everything when you start seeing things like this. It's like, man, Mexico got an awful lot of penalty kicks. Uh, not penalty, or, you know, uh, you know what I mean. Um, penalty yeah, kicks. Penalty they got penalty yeah, kicks. Yeah. And, and, you know, they got an awful lot of them and... Man, it just makes you wonder if, if someone was pulling the strings. But anyway, you know, again, I don't I don't like to buy into conspiracy theories, but when we just saw a giant conspiracy theory come to life a few months ago with this organization, uh, it certainly right. wouldn't surprise me. I guess, you know, I guess to wrap up our talk about the men's team, going forward, and I know it's this looking out pretty far 
Uh, it's hard to predict what's going to happen three years from now. But given what you saw in the Gold Cup, what is a realistic expectation for the United States men at the World Cup in 2018? I still think it is just surviving the group stage and getting out and playing a game in the knockout round. I think that's what the Americans have done the last two times, and it's been hailed as a success. I think people will be wanting more in 2018, to be honest, but I think that's where that's where they stand. That's where they're good enough to get to is getting out of that knockout stage. I don't think it'll be disappointing to lose in that first round. I'm sorry, getting out of that group stage. I don't think it'll be disappointing to lose in the first round, the knockout round. Um, I think that's where they stand in terms of talent and in terms of structure. I think that's what to expect. Yeah, it's obviously hard to predict this stuff because if they wind up in a group like they did last year, you have to manage your expectations and say, well, I mean, they're in with Germany, Portugal, and Ghana. If they don't get out of that group, it's understandable. And so it's hard to say I agree right now, but I think I agree with you. They should get out of group stage. I think they are one of the 16 best teams in the world, even if they're not an elite team. And then from there, it's hard to say. Like, if they get out of group stage but have to play Germany in the knockout round, then no. I mean, they shouldn't get to the quarterfinals. But I think for most U.S. fans, it's winning a knockout round game. They've only won once in sort of the modern era of U.S. soccer. They've only been to the quarterfinals once. I think if they could have do that, and if they could have done that last year, because I think they had a great chance to beat Belgium last year, and they probably should have. I thought they outplayed Belgium, to tell you the truth. Um, obviously Belgium won an extra time. I'm talking about regulation, but if they could have, if they can get to the quarterfinals and just do better than they, or match their best performance, it would really help us soccer gain some traction or soccer gain some traction in America. And so I think that that is the ultimate goal, but you have to reevaluate those expectations based on who they're going to play in the world cup, because if they're stuck in a group of death with two UEFA teams and another strong team, I mean, you got to re-examine it. If they're in an easy group, then yeah. But it just depends on how the draw shakes out and who they'll end up playing in the knockout round. But I think big picture goal is to get to that quarterfinal round and win a knockout round match. Yeah, I think that would be held as a victory for sure. Um, I mean, you're, you're alluding to the 2002 when, when you're talking about uh, getting to the quarterfinal round. So that's in 2018, that's going to be 16 years ago. You know, not a lot of people were watching soccer at that point. Going forward, look at look for these guys. Juan Agudelo, 22, he's a striker. Julian Green, he's a right wing, 19 years old, plays for Bayern Munich, was loaned to Hamburg. Uh, he scored a goal in the 2014 World Cup at age 18. And then look at Gedeon Zalalem, midfield, 18 years old. He's playing for Arsenal right now, or he's part of their club. And then guys that you already saw, Mix Diskarud, DeAndre Yedlin, Timothy Chandler, and and Zardes. They, that's the future. I think a lot of those guys are going to be in the starting lineup come 2018, or they're going to be uh, pivotal pieces coming off the bench. So if you're interested, because we're not going to be talking about soccer for a while now, uh, keep an eye out for those guys. Well, watch out. Olympic qualifying this fall, and the last time they didn't qualify for the Olympics, which was a huge letdown. If these youngsters don't qualify for that U23 Olympic tournament, that'll be a big disappointment too because that's a great development opportunity for them. So I think this fall come October for Olympic qualifying, the U.S. men have to have 
uh, a team in the Olympics. I mean, even if it is a U23 tournament, it's just better for the development of the program. So there is a lot to watch, even though that U23 tournament isn't always the most exciting because, again, it's not like the women, the best team. You know, you're not sending your big guns. It's for the Americans trying to develop a program. It's certainly going to be a significant uh, development process for a lot of these young kids. So hopefully they can qualify this year. I think they should qualify this year and make some noise in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you're getting your soccer itch, look to that, look to the future, because you'll see a lot of those guys in 2018. All righty. So switching gears from football to football, different kind of football. <laughs> Going Football is right around the corner. We talked a lot about the Cleveland Browns in our Clee Talk podcast, and you're still wondering why I'm apologizing to a couple players and their coach. You'll have to listen and find out. But another move happened in college football that is probably pretty significant given that this team is defending national champions and Broxton Miller is one of the best players on that team. He didn't play last year. He was their quarterback. For those of you who don't know, there are a lot of good quarterbacks in Ohio State this year. But Broxton Miller is switching to play wide receiver. And I think it's a good move to help him be better ready for the NFL because I don't necessarily think he would have been a quarterback in the NFL, but I think he has a lot of skills to succeed in the NFL. Uh, Full disclosure for Bob, though, I know you're not the biggest Ohio State fan in the world, but what do you think of the move switching Braxton Miller to wide receiver? I think the biggest positive for it for Ohio State is that it keeps Braxton Miller on the roster at Ohio State. He didn't transfer to play quarterback somewhere else. Now you essentially have a satisfied Braxton Miller playing the, quote, supposedly H-back role that you see in Urban Meyer's teams. Uh, He's satisfied, but if injuries happen, like we saw with Ohio State quarterbacks last year, you have a number three option at quarterback and a really good one at that. So I think that's the biggest takeaway in terms of an impact on the playing field. I don't know how obviously he's going to be used in a number of different ways. I don't know how impactful he's going to be making that transition, but it bodes well for him in the future having transitioned a year early so that he can, uh, you know, try and and stick on with the team in the NFL. I certainly think it helps his NFL prospects. And I've heard that he's open to doing like punt returns and stuff like that, which I also think will help his NFL prospects as well. The guy is such a gifted athlete. He won Big Ten Player of the Year or Offensive Player of the Year. So this guy is not like just a slouch at quarterback. Like you said, he certainly can step in and play. And I imagine there'll be a lot of trick plays. Let's not also forget that Jalen Marshall did that role very well for Ohio State last year. So with Miller, Marshall, it's going to be a pretty scary offense. I, I do not envy any defensive coach who's trying to scheme for not only a very well-coached team, but a team that has a lot of talent. And now you have a kid in Broxton Miller who not only can throw the ball, but his greatest gift is his just elite athleticism. If he can just work on his hands and learn how to catch passes, uh, which I don't think will be the hardest thing in the world to do. He's just got to put in some time and develop his, you know, route running skills and, you know, learn some other nuances of the game that you don't get at quarterback. But there's no doubt in my mind that if he puts in the work, he has all the physical tools to be an exceptionally deadly weapon and an exceptionally versatile weapon 
and make Ohio State's team that much better. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think the conversion from quarterback to pass catcher is hit or miss and just how effective. Obviously, you know, big names like Julian Edelman, uh, Josh Cribbs, Antoine Randall-L have all had really successful careers, but uh, you have other guys like Matt Jones for Jacksonville who was huge body that just never stuck on at wide receiver. So it'll be interesting, and I think it certainly helps that he's – starting off in a diversified offense at in college that'll give him lots of easy looks to catch the ball to get familiar with catching the ball on the field and and hopefully that will help him in the future guy to look for to kind of model after is denard robinson who was a very athletic quarterback at michigan not necessarily the the biggest technical quarterback not a pro style passer but just a very fast, very shifty athlete who transitioned to running back in the NFL. He had a pretty good season with Jacksonville last year. And so, but you know, obviously Miller, you mentioned the other guys. Braxton Miller has a lot of guys he can model after and try and reach that height in the NFL. Unlike most of those other guys, he's doing it his senior year in college. A lot of those guys made the transition after the draft in the NFL which I think will bode well for Braxton Miller because he'll he'll have Urban Meyer, who has developed pro-level talent, and he will have a year in college to showcase his skills at that position. So, you know, we'll see how this plays out, but, you know, this is obviously not good news for all the other teams fighting with Ohio State because if this does work out, they already have another strong, versatile H-back in Jalen Marshall, a wealth of talent returning, um good luck stopping that team yeah i mean who who are they gonna never mind oh uh, uh, no 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 you're trying you're trying to take a shot at the big 10 aren't you you're saying who are they gonna play i'll just say who's who's gonna defend that oh okay never mind i i prematurely take a shot then hey what i mean i mean it's kind of a shot i'm just saying i don't know who who has a good defense in the Big Ten that's going to stop that? I don't know who has a good defense anyway who's going to stop that. I mean, you saw what they did to Alabama last year without Braxton Miller and their third-string quarterback playing his second career game. I mean, there's a lot of talent at Ohio State, and they only they didn't lose a lot of seniors. All their juniors returned. I think they only had like two or three players drafted. So there are a lot of guys on Ohio State from that title team that had a very marvelous run in those last three games with their th- – third string quarterback i mean cardell jones has played three games he's won three rings so i mean there's uh, a lot to look forward to there and i'm sure you and i will have more uh we'll be talking about ohio state a lot more and we'll be debating ohio state a lot more because as we get closer to college football we of course will break down the action and make some picks that will probably go awry and see who the players are in the college football field next year. Yeah, yeah, I, I anticipate some debates coming soon. Oh, there certainly will um, be. There <laughs> certainly, I know there will be debates coming through. <laughs> but, all right, so let's switch gears a little bit. We talked about the trade deadline last week. So far, the trade deadline has been kind of ho-hum, but there was one significant move that's been made so far. Again, the trade deadline really heats up the last week heading into that July 31st deadline. So sometimes it takes some time for teams to get their feet wet and make a move. But Oakland has already started 
the process of dismantling its team, or at least some of the guys that won't be around for the long term. And Scott Kazmir going to Houston, an in-division team, for a couple prospects. He had a very strong debut for the Astros in a big game. Houston and Minnesota fighting for currently the two wildcard teams. So uh, Kazmir having a, having a nice first impression for them. Does this move push Houston over the edge in your mind, at least just to solidify a playoff spot? It uh, it it definitely uh, legitimizes them. I'm not sure if it pushes them over the edge. I mean, he had a really good debut. He's definitely a a, a good solid pitcher. I hope that they they that they don't stop there. That they add a bat, maybe or uh, maybe some bullpen depth. I mean, go all in keep keep adding pieces if the if the price is right and you know you are a, you, you're you're not out of the the AL West race at all i mean you are i think a half game out of the angels so i i mean i would go all in i, I like the move it bolsters the depth it gives you a vet on a really young team and uh yeah i i think it, it legitimizes them they're certainly in the mix and definitely a contender to make the playoffs and uh, I hope they they keep making deals. I think they will make the playoffs. I mean, I said in the pre, that's the one. Like I said, I've said this before. This is the one pick in the American League that I really got. That I said that Houston was going to win a wild card spot. They could win the division, and I think they have a lot of good pitchers. This obviously makes their strong rotation that much deeper. It gives them another lefty at a low, relatively low price. But I agree with you. I think they need a corner outfield bat to at least hold down the fort until George Springer hopefully returns mid to late August. So if they can do that, if they can get kind of a utility guy who's a solid outfield bat to help their offense, that would be excellent because they lost a lot in George Springer. If they can shore that up, they're certainly going to solidify their chances of making the playoffs. I wouldn't trade too much of that talent because – I think Houston has the potential to be a team for the long term here. They've got a lot of young guys. They've really developed well this year. So Houston is a team to watch for the long term. But I think there are a couple moves out there. Maybe, like you said, you can never have enough bullpen depth. And, of course, uh, you know, that big corner outfield bat. Maybe not a huge, I mean, obviously not going to get a huge bat, but just a solid corner outfield bat to hold down the fort until Springer gets back and then stay in the lineup when he gets there and add some depth to their bench, not only their bench, but their offense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Certainly there'll be some more deals brewing. The Mets added a couple vets from, from the Braves. Uh, you know, Chris, you kept saying that they, the Mets need bats, they need offense. And it looks like they got two. Hopefully they, they keep dealing because Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe aren't exactly game changers, but good additions and, and we're gonna see a lot more chatter this week for sure and we'll have a lot more to talk about next and week. and st louis bolstered their bullpen with steve chiswick from the miami marlins so a solid addition for them he used to be their closer obviously he's not taking that job away from trevor rosenthal but certainly will help the middle of that bullpen with a little bit of depth for st louis so a sneaky move by the cardinals i believe we talked about the cardinals possibly looking at the marlins because all the other guys that made sense for them were all in the yeah. division so it's funny that they ended up yeah. trading for a guy on the marlins so so some some sneaky moves some value moves but i think a big move is a brewing bob you alluded to this on our other podcast about the yankees making a big move uh, what what do you think that they're 
going to do? Do you think they're going to go after a big name? Do you think they're going get, to get Cueto or Hamels or someone like that? Uh, I think they're going to go after one of those top two pitchers. Uh, both of them would definitely help them you know, close the door on the AL East and, and push ahead. They are, are in the lead, but they're definitely not uh, commanding commanding that division. All those teams are hovering around there, can make a run at them. So, yeah, I think they're going to make some big noise. Uh, they're one of the few teams that can take on Cole Hamill's contract. So maybe they're going to wait and see if the lack of interest, because the lack of interested parties that can take on that contract drives down that price maybe. I mean, you do have the Dodgers and the Red Sox that are always interested in big contracts like that. So... I don't know if that's going to help too much, but I think they're going to add one of those guys, Hamels or Cueto. Uh, I think they'd be silly not to. I mean, they're they're in playoff contention. They're in the hunt. They're in the lead. Uh, it, it's unlike the Yankees not to go all in when playoffs are on the line. Right, and there have been reports out there that says Cashman's reluctant to trade his minor league talent, which he might be, but this is the Yankees. You go, they make big splashes. I would be surprised if they don't make at least a big move. I know we talked Troy Tulowitzki. I, I think it makes more sense to address the pitching and add another frontline guy to pair with uh, Tanaka and solidify that. Because Ivan Nova and um, Michael Pineda, they're both solid pitchers, but they're inconsistent. CeCe Sabathia is a bit over the hill. He's starting to break down. So they need another legitimate frontline starter to... And that division, like you said, is very competitive. I think... That's the one division that's kind of up for grabs. I mean, there are four, maybe even all five teams could still win it. Boston may be a long shot, but certainly Baltimore, Toronto have a shot, and Tampa Bay is right there too. So, yeah, it's not it's not a given that the Yankees will make the playoffs, and I do think that they have a significant hole in their starting rotation. One of the more intriguing teams on the trade deadline is Detroit. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? They're an okay team. They've been dealing with some injuries. Bob, if you're the Detroit general manager, are you trying to see what you can get for David Price and Johannes Cespedes? Or are you looking the other way and saying, this is the last year of our window. Let's push all the chips in the middle of the table. I mean, I'm going all in again. Uh, Why not? You have Miguel Cabrera, who's still performing at a high level. You have to wonder when that's going to end. Um, yeah, I'm going all in. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll deal with the consequences of that later when Cabrera is in lesser health and, and in a decline. But now is the time. It's not like you're going to do a quick rebuild and still have this deadly offense in the middle. So I, I'm going all in. If I'm then, they're not, they're not out of it. They're, they're certainly in the thick of it. Uh, add, add a cheap arm in the rotation. Uh, not a big guy. Maybe go after like Mike Leake or Matt Latos and, and see what happens, but I would I would certainly not sell. No, no, I wouldn't sell either. And they definitely need pitching. And you're right, Mike Lake, Matt Lightos, or even uh, Dan Heron would make a lot of sense for Detroit. Wouldn't cost a ton because if I'm Detroit, I wouldn't give up a ton either. Because while the window is still open, I think the window is only going to be open for another two months or so. I see the train coming. That light at the end of the tunnel isn't paradise. The train's coming. They are already paying for the Justin Verlander contract. Miguel Cabrera, the last couple years, has dealt with nagging injuries. He's injured again. So you're starting to see the signs that he might not be the supreme elite talent. He's certainly still going to be very good, but the supreme elite talent 
is soon going to fade. Victor Martinez is getting old, too. They've got a lot of guys who are long in the tooth who are big parts of that team. I agree with you. I think you got to push the chips in and try to get a World Series out of this run because the wall is going to... They're going to smash into the wall in the next three years regardless of whether or not they trade David Price or Johannes Cespedes. I think their best chance at winning is right now. Go for it. Rebuild in two years. They're going to fall apart. It, it's cyclical. This is sports. It's going to happen. Keep trying to keep that window open as long as possible. I think they should try and address their rotation with some value trades. Like the Doug Vister trade they made a few years ago was brilliant. The um, Annabelle Sanchez trade they made a few years ago had worked out for them. They've done these pitching moves in the past. I think they need to do another one. But they're also paying a little bit for not re-signing Max Scherzer. They certainly could use his arm in their rotation right now. Yeah, I mean, I I think anybody could use Max Scherzer this year. Uh, I just think Detroit was like, I can't. They they couldn't afford. I mean, it, that's a lot of money given to a guy when you already have big contracts to Cabrera and Verlander. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely missing his arm and that they had last year. But uh, with David Price there, that should have kind of made up for that loss. They only added him halfway through the season last year, so. Uh, yeah, I think it's they have one, maybe two more years left of contention. So keep keep trying, keep trying, look for an arm, try and try and make the playoffs again. If you're a team like Detroit that's been so good for so long, you put off the rebuild as long as possible. At this point, I mean, you're going to hit the wall at sooner at some point. The contracts are going to choke you at some point. You are going to run out of prospects because you've been trading them at some point. Just keep going for it. Just keep doing it. As long as you have those cornerstone guys that don't come along very often. You know, Miguel Cabrera doesn't grow on a tree. Uh, David Price is an elite pitcher. As long as you've got that, keep going for it, man. I mean, you can't you can't stop now. Uh, I, I just think that you got to try and get a World Series, and this is their best chance. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Any other thoughts? Any other last-minute sort of uh, predictions for the trade deadline? I think this week's going to be a very entertaining week. This is where we get into the meat of all the big deals that will be happening. Uh, no, I mean, we hit it really well last week's podcast. If you want to get some detailed coverage of everybody that's available, check that podcast out. But um, no, I think we hit it all. I, I've been hearing, reading that the Rangers might be in play for some big names they're attached to Cole Hamels, so they might be a surprise team that always likes to spend some money that that might get in on it. They're they're you know like most American League teams, they're not out of the race either. Certainly, I, I think we are going to see a big move. I think I think a couple big names are going to move, and I think we're going to see a surprise like the Rangers or a team that's like, wait a second, no one was talking about them. No one thought they were going to make a move. I think we're going to see a curveball move of some sort this week i think it's going to be kind of a crazy week i just hope not a lot of my american league only guys get traded to the national league because then i lose <laughs> out on them so if if you're on my american league only fantasy team please don't trade them to the national league trade them to a better american league team or something like that but don't trade them to a national league team yeah all righty well we got a couple quick ones here the u.s open obviously happened last week uh, it got delayed, so we couldn't talk about it in our last podcast. But Jordan Spieth had a fantastic round. Unfortunately, it was one stroke shy of qualifying for that playoff and ultimately winning the U.S. Open. 
Uh, it's a shame that the Grand Slam had to come to an end. Uh, Bob, did you get to watch much of the tournament? Uh, yeah, here and there. Uh, the rain delay kind of messed me over because that was the day I was going to watch. But um, I watched what I could, and that was definitely an, an awesome run to watch. But, uh, you know, he fell short, and there's no shame in that, falling one one shot short. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely entertaining and kind of sad that the dream is over already, but I think he is, he's here to stay for sure. I mean, there's <laughs> winning two and then losing by one is, uh, definitely, uh, an announcement. And I think he's here to stay and that's good for golf. And it's not like he lost by one and he shot like four over. He shot a minus 14. My goodness, man. <laughs> and he didn't even get into the playoff. Like there's three guys who shot minus 15. Zach Johnson, by the way, won the British Open. I believe I called it the U.S. Open earlier, so apologies again for that. So, Zach Johnson getting the Grand Slam. Uh, very, very big win for him. Minus 15. Certainly exceptionally impressive. I would give the shoot half of that. That would be great. I went out the, uh, yesterday and I shot a 51, quote-unquote, not counting like the 10 mulligans I took. So, huh, yeah, I've got some work to do before I uh, you know, <laughs> am playing a Grand Slam. But no, yeah, Jordan Speed, he only lost by one and he shot a minus 14. Nothing to be ashamed of there. And you're right, this kid's here to stay and it's good for American golf. Hey, Zach Johnson's good for American golf too. Another American. All three golf slams have gone to American players. So very strong year for American golf and golf in general. I think Speed raised the profile of the British Open a little bit, got a lot of more casual golf fans to tune in. I, didn't, I wasn't able to watch too much, but I did watch a little bit of the third round. And it is pretty sweet to see what these guys can do. They can just kind of put the ball wherever they want to, shoot a 160-yard shot, put it 10 feet from the hole for a birdie putt. It's like, goodness, man, these guys are insane. Yeah. So it's it's definitely been, it was a great storyline and, and very entertaining to see it play out. Yeah, the, I think you're saying that they are pretty good. They're a lot better pretty than me, that's watch. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that, all right. Well, let's talk about your uh, your favorite topic. Oh, I love this topic. Yeah, so um, Deflate Gate, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> um, so I've I've been hearing reports, kind of like day in day out. You know, his appeal happened a few weeks ago, and we were expecting news, and nothing happened. A few weeks, it happened a month that. ago. It was June twenty third. Yeah, yeah, it's been that long now. <laughs> So, like I've heard that he that Brady is willing to accept a reduced suspension, but Goodell and the NFL are refusing to even listen. I I don't know what what are you making of all the rumors of all the the earshots. I'm trying not to buy into the rumors too much because I, I I don't. It's not that I don't trust the reporting. I don't trust the sources that are leaking them. I, I think that there are ulterior motives going on and things like that. Um, but I think that this is entirely too long. I mean, this is drug out for going on. I mean, we're into our, it's been six months since the AFC title game. We're going into seven months here, a month since the appeal. I mean, this screams Goodell's fall tactics. I mean, the NFL, I think, is very afraid of a legal challenge in court by Tom Brady and his lawyers, and, and they've made it very clear that anything less of full exoneration, they're going to challenge in court. Now, I think Brady would accept a fine, I don't necessarily think Brady would accept a suspension of any kind. So I think Goodell is trying to wait as long as possible to stall the 
lawsuit from Brady and his lawyers from happening and try to put them up against the clock. But this situation is just, it, it's just, it's all silly and ridiculous. I think the NFL just needs to make a decision, get it over with. If they're that terrified of a lawsuit, then they probably made the wrong decision to begin with. Swallow your pride and get rid of his suspension. I mean, that's the only thing I can say. If they're terrified that Brady's going to win a lawsuit, then just save yourself the PR nightmare of looking foolish in court and swallow a little pride. Yeah, I, I, they just need to come out with an announcement. I, if they're prideful, then I guess the best way to do, it, the best thing to do would be it to come on some agreement or reduce penalty so you don't go into court. But um, just come out with the announcement and face it. I mean, I don't. <laughs> these guys are acting like kids, man, like little children or teenagers, afraid of, of speaking the truth, afraid of consequences, like. They just need to, to, to say something and get the thing moving. Cause it's not, delaying. Isn't going to, to do anything. It's just, you're just delaying it. I, I mean, if it's going to go to court, it's going to go to court. It's, I, I don't know. It's just frustrating. And I, they just need to come to an announcement and we will either move on to the next episode of deflate gate or we'll move past it. Yeah, no, I agree. They need to come out with an announcement of some sort, make a decision of some sort. I would be surprised if Goodell exonerates Brady. I think it will take a challenge in court to get the exoneration he's looking for. But it wouldn't surprise me if they come to a settlement. And But even still, I can't see the NFL offering Brady full exoneration. I can't see them offering him anything less than two games or maybe even one game. I mean, he's going to, if the, if he settles with the NFL, the NFL is going to want a suspension of some sort to save face. And I don't know if Brady's going to want to waive his legal challenge for a one game suspension. I think that Brady feels he was wronged and he really wants to fight this to the death and wants either full exoneration or nothing. And so it's a tricky situation for for the NFL if they are in fact that afraid of a set of a lawsuit, which based on their actions tells me that they probably are. Yeah, well, you know me, I'm I'm always willing to talk about this whenever. So, <laughs> like, if you want, if you're really bothered by it late at night, if you want to talk, call me and just talk about some Deflate Gate. That's fine. And all you listeners, you know, certain just tweet me, text me comment you know i love talking about deflate gate so just flood my inbox with with questions and comments and I'll, I'll be i'll be up all night answering them so so keep it up i can't wait i hope i hope it just continues you know i hope there isn't a resolution i, I hope that uh we're talking about it next year even uh, I, it's it's been the best thing to have in the sports in a long time <laughs> i sense a lot of sarcasm out of you man i sense a lot of sarcasm <laughs> I think I'll have better help on it in Vice Line than I would getting you to talk to Flakegate with me at night. <laughs> but, alrighty, man, we've crammed a lot in this podcast. We moved around a lot of different sports, and so hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys check out our Clee Talk bonus podcast focusing on the Cleveland teams and Cleveland sports. Football's right around the corner. Baseball trade deadline's heating up. So we're going to have a lot more to talk about as the weeks go on. But until then, hopefully you'll come back and join us for it. 
please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. Follow us on Instagram, FenleyROADSports. And come back to our website, FenleyRoadSports.com, where we'll roll out some more content via the blog. And, of course, have these podcasts up on iTunes. You can subscribe. Just search What Are You Talking About or Fenley Road Sports. And thank you again for listening to us. Hope you'll come back next week. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take care, Bob.